All right, so we're in uh, Genesis 13 today, and uh, the title of the message is Abram Called on the Name of the Lord. Again, obviously, Genesis, we've been looking at the relationship between God and, and man, God and people. Uh, and God, we just ask this morning again that you would speak to us. God, you'd fill me, Holy Spirit. You'd fill my friends and family here, and uh, just have your way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. But last time we saw that Abram had continued on to the promised land, that God had called him to leave his house, his father's house, his, his, every place he knew, and to go into the land that God would show him. And as he got into that land, there was uh, a massive famine. And so he got into the land, and then he got out of the land, and he went to Egypt, and we saw the mess he got in there. And, and thankfully, uh, God used Pharaoh, God intervened, and uh, Pharaoh didn't keep Sarai to be his own wife, and Pharaoh didn't kill Abram like he was so afraid. And uh, he sent him back on his way. Their relationship was, was broken, but he sent them back on their way. And that uh, Abram ended up going back to where God had uh, wanted him to be in the first place. But with that, I think as we get into today's message and just considering where Abram's come from and where he's going, I think we should do the same. And as we do that, we should wonder, we should ask ourselves, and I would ask you, maybe God would, is, is how real is your relationship with the Lord? Do you hear him speak? And do you listen when he does? It's funny, even on the way over here, Mia was asking me, how do I hear God speak to him? And how do you hear God speak? And we were talking about things. So I think that that's cool. I think maybe you were hearing God speak to you about wondering that this morning. Um, you know, they even asked that question. But with that, are we like Abram? Do we hear God's call? Maybe even we finally obey the call. But I don't know that Abraham necessarily really believed God's call or, or the provision of it. Yeah, he went out, he stepped out, and he finally did it. But when he went out there, and it wasn't what he expected, uh, he kept going to Egypt. Um, you know, maybe he didn't really, you know, his relationship wasn't as close with God as it needed to be. Uh, Jeremiah 27 through 9 says, You induced me, and I was persuaded. You are stronger than I, and I prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. For when I spoke, I cried out. I shouted violence and plunder, because the word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones. And I was weary of holding it back and could not. You know, Jeremiah was preaching. It wasn't go the way he wanted it, and he just wanted to be done with it. He wanted to stop listening to what God was telling him. He wanted to stop saying God's word because it was just con every day he'd wake up and be like, I gotta go share God's word again. They're gonna make fun of me again. They're not gonna accept me again. This is just, I'm just, I can't stand this anymore. And, and he tried to, to not do it, but he said that God's word prevailed, that he just could not, he could not hold it in uh, any longer. Um, you know, I think that's because Jeremiah really knew God. And like we read last week, that we are not our own, that God purchased us with a price. Uh, like 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, You were brought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That, man, when we know God, when we hear him call us, we can try and deny it for a season, we can try and suppress it for a season, we can try and go about our own business for a season, but eventually we're going to get back to what God has asked us to do and go on the way that God has wanted us to go. But even deeper than that, I think sometimes we miss the relationship in the call of God. We hear the call of God like it's a job application 
or it's that message on LinkedIn. Hey, join my network. I've got a job that's perfect for you. And you're like, no, <laughs> no thanks. So you get those spam emails about job offers and how'd you get my email? <laughs> Just report it to spam. And we don't notice the relationship that God has behind it or the nature of the one who is calling us. Uh, Oswald Chambers said this, he says, when we talk about the call of God, we often forget the most important thing, namely the nature of him who calls. That when God calls us, sometimes we don't obey, we don't listen, maybe we don't believe it, or maybe we're, we're not sure we're hearing it because we forget the nature of God. Because we forget that, oh man, God is good. You know, God promised all this stuff to Abram, and maybe Abram began to doubt it in the wilderness because he didn't show up, and there wasn't a big high-rise there with Abram written in gold on the side. You know, he didn't show up, and there wasn't crops and land that was fertile at the time. Uh, but God still promised them that. He forgot the nature of God, that God can take nothing and turn it into something, and that when God speaks something, he means it. He's not going to go back on his word. And sometimes when those things happen, we begin to doubt hearing God's call in our life. We say, oh, we're so confident that we heard God call, but then when we don't see it the way we expect it, we go, man, is God really calling me? I think sometimes that's healthy. You know, we definitely need to make sure it's God speaking to us and not the pizza or not whatever else we're interested in. But another thing that goes along with the call of God, I, I believe, would be this quote that I read from A.W. Tozer again this week that said, God is more concerned with the state of people's hearts than with the state of their feelings. That sometimes when God calls us, maybe it'll give us a good feeling, maybe it won't. Maybe he's calling you to a hard time. Maybe he's calling you through a difficult time that in order to obey me, you've got to go on this narrow path that few ever find and not many people are going to go with you. Because he's more concerned that your heart would be healthy and that you would ultimately get home to be with him than he is that you'd have a healthy, wealthy, and wise and a happy life and your best life now. He wants you to have him. And sometimes that call of God, although is painful, when we remember the nature of God, we know that it's good. We know that he's asked us to do something that's good and that ultimately he has our good in mind. So we pick it up in Genesis 13, verse 1, and it says, we'll read the first four verses together to start. It says, Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock and in silver and in gold. And he went on his journey from the, from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. You know, we remember we hear that a lot in earlier in the scriptures, the days when men began to call the name of the Lord after Adam and Eve had gone out and began to spread um, but in the beginning, it says that he went up. Uh, sort of the reverse of what, what goes up will always come down, right? You throw a ball over in the air, eventually it's going to fall back down. If it doesn't fall back down, uh, you should probably be worried or maybe it hit the roof. But you always see those pictures of those guys in the Middle East shooting their guns in the air. You go, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, after they invaded Iraq in the 90s, all, you know, people glad Saddam was, was taken out. And they come back down. <laughs> They come back down as fast as they went up. <laughs> it's like it's somebody's house. Exactly. And you go, all right, I'm glad I'm over there. Um, so, adult stuff. <laughs> but with God, no matter how low we go, he can always restore us. 
he can always bring us back up. That even though Abram kept walking right through God's promise, walked right out of God's provision, and walked into Pharaoh's house, and ended up getting in trouble, he begins to walk back, and God begins to bring him back and give him more. Even though he went into Egypt with a bunch, he came back out with even more that Pharaoh ended up had blessed him. Um, Joel 2.25 and 26 says, I'm sure you guys all know this verse, says, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust. My great army, which I sent among you, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be put to shame. Now, God doesn't want you and I to be put to shame. The enemy wants us to be shamed. But God says, even if you've messed up, even if you've gone past my provision, I want to bring you back. I don't want there to be shame in your life. I want to take that shame away. I want to put blessing on your life. Show others that even if you screw up, I still want to bless you. That I'm a bigger God than your mess up. I'm a bigger God than, uh, than your doubts would have you believe. You know, we see Abram's wandering to Egypt. We see the Israelites 40 years in the wilderness, but then God gives them the promised land. They become one of the most prosperous nations on the world uh, when Solomon is in uh, office, is in, on the throne. We see Peter's betrayal. He becomes... The foundation of the early church, not as the Catholics believe, but he was one of the pillars of the church. Paul's life before Christ, he thought he knew everything about God. He was well-educated, but then he, he murdered Christians, and then he came to know God, and God uses him to be one of the foundations of Christianity, to write the majority of the New Testament. God flips all these stories around, and no matter how far they go, whether they had a relationship with them or not, he's willing to bless them and bring them further. But it says that he went to the south. That doesn't mean that he went south out of Egypt. He just went to that south land. Uh, the ne- and that word south is Negev. Uh, in modern uh, day, you could probably get the Israeli city of Negev from it. But it's in the southern region of Israel. It's south from where Abram originally started. And it's south in the mind of the writer of Moses and of those who would be reading it in Israel. It's the southern area of Israel. Um, but it said that he went to where his tent had been at the beginning. That after all this... Abraham and him have gone up back to where he started with the Lord. And sometimes we have to go backward in order to go forward. Sometimes in the world, we don't see it that way. We just need to keep pressing on, keep charging forward, no matter what comes your way. But in life, in reality, sometimes we do have to go backwards. We need to retrace our steps. You know, uh, oh, where's my phone? You know, if you don't have Alexa or one of those things, say, hey, where's my phone? I don't want one of those things, but... You have to look. You have to go back. Where did I put it down? Well, it's not there. Oh, I remember doing this and that. Eventually, you find it. It's always in the last place you left it, right? Or the last place you look. Sometimes we have to uh, rethink an approach. Maybe it's in business or in life. We've been coming at something. Or, you know, if you played sports growing up, you'd be trying this strategy the whole game, and it's not working, and the coach calls you in, and you have to change the approach you're making. That's saying going back to the drawing board. You had this great idea, you planned it out, you built it out, but then when it actually came together, you realized this is a pretty bad idea. We need to start over from the beginning. Maybe you learned some things along the way and you said, I've got to deconstruct. This happens sometimes um, for me in programming when uh, I'm trying something new or going a new route that's something very complicated. I'll go through it and I'll get a rough way it works and I realize, oh, there's a much better way to do it. I have to take it all apart and start from the beginning, but it's always better. Uh, you know, version 2.0 is always better. But Jesus says in Revelation to the church in Ephesus, he says, you've left your first love. Repent quickly and go back and do the first works. He doesn't say, you've left your first love, now go ahead and go do this, this other thing. But he says, go back and do the first things. He says, you've got to go back. In order to go forward with me, in order to get back close to me, 
you've got to go back to where you used to be. Um, and I wonder, when I ask, where were you dwelling? Where was your tent? When, I mean, I need to sit down, sweetie. Okay. Where was your tent at the beginning of your walk? When you first got saved, where did you put your tent? She might, yeah. Just ask her. She's pretty good on her own, though. But where was your tent? Where did you set up camp when you first came to know the Lord? Maybe even just in the last milestone in your faith, the last time you remember, wow, God was really speaking to me this time. I remember God really doing a lot of things in my life in this time. Where was your tent? What was it like? Where did you set up camp? Was it at a church? Was there a certain private time in your life that you had set up and guarded? Were there places you'd go to spend time with the Lord? Um, you know, when I was single, it was a little bit easier, but I used to go out and get coffee, and I'd go on a date with the Lord and go sit and just read and, and have coffee, and it was good. And uh, it wasn't as good as noble coffee. <laughs> but it was good. I remember when I first got saved, uh, living in my mom's house and being in the room upstairs. I remember just certain nights with the way the light was on and the way the bedspread was on the bed and just reading 1 Corinthians. Just going through, just soaking it up. Not, you know, not having some deep exegetical moment of uh, divine inspiration, but just, just this sweet presence of God and reading the word and being soaked in the truth and being a young believer. But if you're feeling lost... If you haven't heard from God in a while, if you're feeling dejected, if you're feeling like you failed, if you're coming back from somewhere like Abram with your tail between your legs, go back. Pitch your tent where you used to meet God. And maybe that physical place isn't there anymore. Or maybe it is. But spiritually, pitch your tent. Maybe it's not possible. Maybe it's not practical. Maybe it's not necessary, like the scripture says. We don't need to go to the temple to worship God. We can worship God in spirit and truth. But sometimes it's good to go back and revisit those things and even just take a tour. You know, if you have journals, go through your old journals. See what God was doing in your life. See what God was speaking to you um, during those seasons. And there's five pillars, too, to, to question, to wonder if we've set up our tent with these tent stakes, so to speak. We've got worship. We've got prayer, we've got fellowship or communion. We've got Bible study and evangelism. Is your tent being held down by these stakes in life? Or is it blowing away because maybe there's not enough fellowship? Or maybe you haven't been worshiping God and the rain is now getting inside the tent and you know, you're like, oh, there's a lot of whatever going on. But consider that. Consider where we pitched our tent. As we'll see, there's a choice where we can pitch our tent in life. But we see that Abram, at this point in his life, he goes back and he's between Bethel, the house of God, and a city called Ai. And Ai means heap of ruins. So he's between the house of God and a heap of ruins. And God meets us there. He always is willing to meet us there, between his house and ours. Like the prodigal son running back to his father. The father doesn't sit in his easy chair and <laughs> leaves the light off and wait for him to come in and flip the light on, surprise him. He sees his son coming. He's been looking for his son. He runs out, and he meets him on the road. You know that it's okay to be broken between the house of failure and the house of God. It's okay to realize that you're in a ruined situation. Maybe it's not okay of the things you did. Maybe it's not an okay situation. You can't write it off, so to speak. But it's okay to realize that. It's okay to come to grips with reality that, man, my life is not the way it should be. 
it's broken. I've been doing it the wrong way. I've been messing it up. I've been hurting others. It's okay to realize that. A lot of times people don't want to realize that. And so we continue on and we wonder, even as believers, well, why isn't God doing anything? Why am I not hearing anything? Well, you've got to go to that place of brokenness first. And God's not going to cast you off. We have to remember that's the call of God to return to a place where we feel broken, to return to a place that we feel lost. We have to remember the nature of God, that God is not going to cast us off. In John 6, 37, Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, but the one who comes to me, I will no means cast out. Jesus says, if you come to me, I'm not going to cast you off. I'm not going to say, look how long it took you. <laughs> you know, Wipe your shoes when you get in here. No, he's going to get down. He's going to what? He's going to wash your feet. Isaiah 42, 3 says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. That, man, if we're broken, if we're not on as fire as we used to be, God's not going to condemn you. He's going to say, come here. Let me heal those bruises. Let me bind you up. Let me get you relit. Let me get that smile back on your face. So if you're broken, come to him. He's not going to beat you. He's not going to make you feel guilty. He will heal you. He will restore you. And I guarantee your relationship will be deeper. God doesn't want us always to go deeper in that way. You know, there's, there's an easy way and a hard way um, to learn things. But even if we have to learn things the hard way, God's not going to penalize us, so to speak, in our spiritual walk with him. He'll bring us deeper if we, if we but come to him. You know, and I'm sure Abram felt these things, thought these things. How do I know? How am I so sure? Because he and I, and you and I, are made of the same stuff. Dirt. If I feel it, he felt it. Maybe we're not exactly the same. Maybe there's other characters you can identify with more in the Bible. But he's a person just like you and me. This father of faith, as we see, was just as frail as you and I. And there's a song, Sweetly Broken. You know that when we come to God, he breaks us, but he breaks us sweetly. And it's always, it's always to heal us. It's always to heal us. But if you've been walking a while with the Lord and you find yourself being broken where you are in the Lord you just sense that man God's doing some breaking or about to do some breaking in me it's a good place to be and the world, the world is not about that the world wants to be put together the world reshapes their brokenness as being put together in a new way and that's why we see the world falling apart and people losing their minds it's because they're trying to claim that their brokenness is not brokenness they just allow themselves to be broken and be repaired um, things would be better but it's the only way we can grow and, and be made into what he wants. You know, the idea of the potter and the clay. Have you ever saw that thing that uh, Potter, was it Potter's Field? Yeah. yeah. Where he's making the clay, and you're like, oh, that's beautiful. And then it just like falls in on itself. And he makes something totally different out of it. You know, you ha have to let it be broken to be able to make something new out of it. Uh, I read something the other day, too, about God works in clay because clay is moldable, changeable. It's not like steel or wood. He, he was trying to make something out of steel. And it breaks, you know, there's things you can do to fix it, but it's not like clay where it can be molded and made back into a work of art again. But the question is, where will we be broken? Will we be, will we be broken at the altar or will we be broken in our mess? You know, because if it's not the altar, it will be the mess. There's not a third option there. We're either broken before God or broken by God and broken by um, really the consequence of our actions. You know, if you haven't been broken by God in a while, stop. Stop whatever you're doing. Come to him. Ask him what needs to be broken. 
we should be broken almost daily. You know, if, if, if we're going through a week in our life and go, oh, I haven't sinned this week, I think we need to take a, a, a strong look and say, God, Holy Spirit, well, what am I doing wrong? You know, even daily, sometimes you come at the end of the day, you're like, oh, today was pretty good. And then you sit and spend 30 seconds with God and you go, oh, wait a minute. All these things that, man, Lord, help me. But maybe it's an attitude, a habit, a relationship, a way of thinking, a way of behaving that might not be bad, but it's not what God would have you be. And the Lord allows hardships sometimes in our life, probably all the time, to get us to depend on him, to get us to depend on him. If we're going through life, we're not depending on him, whoop, sometimes a hardship happens because we really missed what God was saying, you know. God was telling you to get out of the stock market, but you stayed in it, so to speak, and then it crashed, you know. But Abram hadn't learned that yet. We'll see that he does begin to learn that. But thankfully, his riches didn't get in the way of him finding his relationship with God. It said that Abram was a rich man, but that he still had that relationship with God. And I think a lot of us, if we were rich men, we might not have that relationship with God. We might say, oh, all my provision is here. I'm good to go. But Abram, Abram wasn't that way. Abram, Abram knew that his riches weren't what he needed in life. And it says that in there, Abram called on the name of the Lord. And I believe that this is where Abram really started walking with God, that Perhaps he knew God, he heard God's call, he understood that God was calling him. But we see that his life hadn't really been fruitful at this point. He did some conniving things, he got himself in trouble. But then when he comes back to this point where he first met with God, he began to call on, on the Lord. I believe that's, that's where his relationships are. Like you see David in the Psalms, he calls on the name of the Lord and the Lord answers him. And I think that that's the mark of a real relationship with God is that we're what? We're calling on the name of God. In the midst of our trial, when we first need to get saved. God, save me. Forgive me. My sin is overwhelming. My situation is overwhelming. And we begin to call on his name, and then other things come up when we call on him. Family members get sick. We have issues in life. Things go on. We begin to call on him daily, regularly, and not just once in a blue moon. Our life is, is, is exemplified by calling on God's, uh, God's name. And I believe that some of us come to the faith but it takes a while for us to truly follow. A lot of times we see this in youth ministry. There will be kids who grew up in a Christian home or even get saved sometimes, and they follow God, but they're not quite as close. You see that God has a call in their life. It's like, I don't know how to explain it other than you just, you just see it. You can sense it, but they're not quite there yet. It's sense that God has this great potential for them. There's great potential in them, but there's something missing from their walk. Um, some kids would get it right away. They would get saved, and you see them, they'd be on fire, and be like, God's hand on his life. I don't need to do anything. <laughs> you know, they just come and do their thing, and they're good. Um, you know, the, to some degree, still be involved in their life. But some kids wouldn't, and some kids just wouldn't have any walk at all, and they would just be there for whatever reason to hang out. And that's fine, you know. Uh, that's kind of the, the beauty of youth ministry. You just get the love on them for God, and hopefully God will use it. But sometimes it would take a while. Sometimes it would take a struggle in their life. It would take something happening or them just going through something and then finally it would click and you would see that they got it and their life would just it would just be different they you would say that they weren't wouldn't weren't saved before but there's something different and i think a lot of that can be traced to both baptisms number one being baptized you get saved you're walking with god god says to be baptized you go and be baptized with water because now your conscience is clean. You, you have this point to look back on. You begin to say, I really want to walk with God. I'm taking this so seriously. I'll go get dunked. I don't care what it takes. I want to identify with Jesus, even if you don't fully understand it. 
But then there's even more so the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The disciples walked with Jesus. They knew Jesus. They loved Jesus. But they didn't even have the Holy Spirit. They were bumbling. They were messing up. They were doing their own thing. And Jesus went to heaven. He said, wait for the Holy Spirit. So they got together in the right place. And they waited. And the Holy Spirit came. What Peter, Peter preaches. And all these people come to know God. And I think that's important for us is that we have the Holy Spirit in our lives. We have been willing to be broken. You know that, yeah, we come to the Lord, but there's, there's other things that need to be broken in us before we can truly follow him, before we can go all the way and receive all that he has for us um, in this life and the next. But that comes down to not grieving the Holy Spirit, like we read, that you know, a lot of times we treat the Holy Spirit when he begins to convict us of something. Say, oh, no, get out. You know, we brush it off. We push it off. But God's saying, no, I, I need to do this in you. In order for you to make it through this next season in life, I need to break you. Abram, in order for you to get into the promised land, you need to be broken. You need to call on me. You need to understand that you need me. Um, not because, not in a pejorative way, not in a condemning or patronizing way, but you need me. And it's, it's okay to need me. It's good to need me. That's why I'm here. I'm the comforter. But unfortunately, there's a lack of waiting for the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers today in the church today. We see a lot of meetings. We see a lot of plannings. We see a lot of good intentions. And we need to be doing this. We need to be doing that. But it's really, has there been waiting on God? Has there been prayer? Has there been, well, what does God want to do? Not just everyone else is doing it. It's a good idea. Or this, this need, this sounds like a good idea. But what does God want to do and use us for? There's not enough breaking. There's not enough seeking. And we see things get built up uh, in the wrong manner that way. But remember, where the heart of the wise is, that's the house of mourning. The house of mourning. Remember we read that recently. That being broken is where we can go to find wisdom. And we'll see, I think, as we read on here, that Abram had found that wisdom. Verse 5 says, Lot also, who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents, now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together. So their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock, the Canaanites and the Perizzites that, uh, excuse me, then dwelt in the land. Verse 8, so Abram said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left, and we'll stop there for right now. It says that Lot also went with him. Remember that God called Abram out of his homeland. He wasn't supposed to take his family with him, but he took Lot with him. We looked into uh, some of the family dynamic there. Uh, but Lot journeyed physically with Abram, but he didn't journey spiritually with Abram. We see Abram go through a journey here. Abram's following the call of God. He bounces through Egypt. Now it seems like he's actually following God. Lot's kind of along for the ride. Lot's seeing all this. Lot probably has heard the story. Why are we going? Well, God called me out here. So Lot's going along for the ride, but he doesn't quite have the same spiritual journey as Abram. Um, and our spiritual journey is really our own. It's really our own. We're the only ones that can go through it. It can make those decisions to follow God. We can and should influence others. We, could, we can and should be influenced also by others who are following the Lord. But ultimately, it is up to us to follow the Lord. Ultimately, it's up to them to follow the Lord. With my kids, they can come along for the ride, but at some point, it's going to have to be totally their relationship with him. 
Um, and with that, we cannot be a crutch to someone forever. We cannot play the Holy Spirit in their lives all the time. It's only going to drag us down. It's only going to stunt their growth as well. Sometimes we have to allow those who are with us to be able to just make their own decisions. A lot of times you go for counseling with a pastor or someone, uh, you know, they'll help you out through. But eventually at time they have to say, well, what is God showing you? What is, you, you have to make this decision. It's up to you to follow at this point. You know, I've had friends in the past who um, would get involved in people's lives like that. And they were trying to help them. I believe the intents were good. But it ended up just dragging them down. Because they were so concerned about someone else's relationship with the Lord that they weren't focusing on their own relationship with the Lord. And that other person who wasn't walking ended up affecting them more um, uh, than the, you know, it was reversed. You know, it said like, if you're standing up on a chair and you try and lift someone up, it's easier for them to pull you down than it is for you to pull them up. Not that you're going to try or throw them a rope or anything of that matter, but at some point, you really got to let God be God. And and not that you're not going to pray for them and be there for them, but... They really have to make that relationship their own, um, especially as adults. And, and Lot was an adult here. Um, you know, Lot had a lot of stuff, too. He had tents. You know, he was able to do his own thing. He had plenty of money. He had plenty of people. He had plenty of provision. He had a place to live. But he still was under Abram. He still was with Abram, intermingled with Abram. And it began to, uh, to cause issues. I believe they were tangled at this point that their lives were so close and Abram begins to follow God and Lot still kind of do his own thing and we see that stuff begins to happen. I think that speaks to us that we need to be careful who we get wrapped up with. Even if we've been wrapped up with them for a long time, you find that when you begin to follow the Lord, begin to call the name of the Lord, you realize that this together, this closeness is not really closeness, but it's kind of tangled. It's that mess of Christmas lights. You know, you try and put them, you know, you do them all nice, you try and put them away nice, and then next Christmas you open the box and somehow they're one big ball again. I don't know what happened. Um, but relationships are so important because they deeply affect us in that way. That when we get involved in other people's lives, we end up getting tangled in affairs. They ask for advice. You're riding in the car, then they get pulled over. You both go to jail. I didn't know you were a felon, and now you know, you're in a lot of trouble because you weren't aware of who your friends were. Um, I'm not speaking from experience there. But even in ways we can't see. You know, I remember growing up seeing friends get caught up in things and they would change. They'd listen to different music or start hanging out with different people and they would begin to change and I couldn't quite go along with that. Uh, getting saved and my friends couldn't quite go along with that and so began to unravel. Relations began to unravel, unfortunately. Um, you see differences in families when others are introduced, uh, when a new relationship comes into the picture, even if it's a good one, when there's a baby, the dynamic changes. When someone comes to visit, the dynamic changes, but also you see the other side. When they begin to hang out with the wrong crowd or they begin to be influenced by someone, you begin to see that in their life. And one way to tell if someone is a believer is if their life gets wrapped up in the things of the Lord and being about the Lord's business. And I don't mean just having a Bible and going to church, having a bumper sticker on your car. Um, Those are all great starts in a way. But everything in their life becomes about calling on the name of the Lord. Everything in their life it's so tangled up and wrapped up and organized by the Lord that there's really not a difference there, that you couldn't see them doing anything else. And we start to see that in Abram's life, but we don't see that as we continue on in Lot's life. That the land was not able to support them, to bear and to carry support, that there were a lot of mouths to feed. There were a lot of animals. There were a lot of people. There were a lot of servants. Um, there were also other people in the land, uh, Moses says at this time. And it just started to, to bump heads to, to get together, you know. When you go out in the city, there's so many people, there's going to be fender benders, there's going to be crime, there's going to be other things because you've got so many people in a tiny little spot. Or 
I remember hanging out with friends when you were a kid and you'd be in a car, you'd be hanging out with them for days on end, you begin to squabble because you're spending so much time together. Uh, you know, even with siblings or even your spouse, you know, you're stuck in a car, it's hot or you're both homesick or whatever the case is and eventually you begin to, to act less than loving towards each other, even though you do love each other, but just because you've been a little too close lately, you need a little breathing room, right? And that, and that begins to happen here. Uh, that there just wasn't enough to go around. Um, you know, in one way it was necessary. It was a healthy split so that everyone would have enough space. Uh, there was too much competition. There was no need for them to stay together anymore. It, Lot was grown up. Lot had his own stuff. Abram had his own stuff. There was no need for them to depend on each other that closely anymore. Uh, not that they wouldn't have a relationship, but that they didn't need to be in their daily lives anymore. It was just time to separate. And it was obvious because it wasn't working anymore. It wasn't working anymore. Sometimes that's okay. Sometimes in our relationships we see things that, that begin to go that route, and sometimes it's better just to go a separate way. Uh, because there can be good splits, like when a church splits in a good way. God has raised people up. God has brought people in. God has brought things to happen, and the church should healthily split. And now you can reach twice as many people. But a lot of times we don't allow that to happen, and so there becomes infighting and, and backbiting, and then all of a sudden it has to rip, and it's a detriment to the kingdom as opposed to a blessing to the kingdom. Um, it's cancerous as opposed to healthy growth. Um, you know, and a family too. My kids, one day they'll grow up, just Jacob, me and Alicia can stay home forever, but Jacob will grow up one day, and one day he'll be too big for his britches in reality, and it'll be time for him to spread out and go and do his, his own thing. I'll always be his father, but there'll be one day when, when he might not need me. I mean, if he always needs me, I'll always be there for him, but I think you get what I'm saying. We see Abram here, the older one, the, the uncle, who had a relationship with the Lord. Abram seeks peace first. I think that's a change in him. I don't know that he would have sought peace before he began calling on the name of the Lord, he might have claimed his right to his uncle and said, Lot, you better get in line, buddy. I don't care how old you are. I'm still your uncle. Romans 12, 18 says, If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. You know, Abram was living that verse thousands of years before it was written. Why? Because his heart was changed. Abram didn't kick out Lot. Abram gave Lot the choice. Lot, we obviously have to separate. Please let there be peace between us. Just pick whatever way you want to go. Whatever way you want to go, fine with me. I'll go the other way. You take whatever is best in your eyes. He says, we're brethren. We're family. Please, don't fight. Let's not fight. Man, if the church acted this way, if the church really believed that we were family, we were brethren, and we put others first, we put differences aside, we agree to disagree where necessary, we'd be a much healthier family. Now, I'm not saying we would allow things that are wrong or heretical of that nature, but just as the church, we would be forgiving. We'd be loving. We'd be putting others first. Oh, you want to go do that? Okay, you go and do that. You go where he's good. You know, you seem best with the Lord, and, and I'll go the other way. I'll support you. You support me. We don't need to fight over the same plot of land, and how often it is we see that, sadly. Um, and Unfortunately, this is why God can't use us most of the times, there's too much strife. God wants to do something, but he can't because we're all squabbling. We're all, this is my plot of land. This is my well. Get out of here. This is my provision. I was here first. Do these things matter in the kingdom of God? You know, John 13, 35 says, by, all, by this, all will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And all too often we have love just for ourselves. We want the best only for ourselves. 
even if strife and fighting are a result of it. We say, oh, well, that's just the price of doing business these day and age, this day and age. Well, I've got to do what's right in my eyes, and if you don't like it, well, then I guess we just can't be friends. We spiritualize it somehow. We come up with some judgment on the other person as to why it's happening. Oh, well, they're just blah, blah, blah. Well, are you a believer? Are you the more spiritual one? Restore them. Love them. Let them have their way. Be them. Don't stumble them. Don't get in their way. Um, how about we wash their feet? How about we take responsibility to mend the situation that we didn't even mess up? Well, it's not my fault. It's lots of people. They should get out of here. And Abram doesn't treat it that way. Abram's thought is basically, it doesn't matter as long as we're at peace. It doesn't matter where you go, where I go. I just want to be at peace with you. Abram, his relationship with him, with his uh, nephew, and their families and their descendants was more important to Abram than any earthly possession. And unfortunately, in our lives, I don't know that we always do that. And when was the last time you saw the church act like this? Well, with that, when was the last time you and I acted like this? Because the church can't do it if we're not doing it. Because we're the church. We're the church. But it says separate and divide here. Sometimes that separation and division is necessary for health. Like we talked about kids growing up. You know, that, that old Western saying, well, this town ain't big enough for the bold of us, partner. And they go and have that gunfight. <laughs> we can settle it without a gunfight um, most of the time. But when it does, when these things do happen, hey, sweetheart, do everything you can to make it peaceful, to make it loving, make it helpful divide. You know, sadly, unfortunately, when people do end up having to split in their marriage, um, and one as a believer is trying to do everything they can to save it, but the other one won't, they let it go peacefully. They do their best to try and save the marriage and be there for it, but if the other won't have it, they peaceably try and make that divide instead of trying to, to get them back and pay them back. And as a believer, you should never be trying to seek um, revenge. Abram wanted to bless instead of wanting the blessing for himself. And I think the heart, you know, what does James say? You know, where do all these wars and fighting come from? Well, doesn't it come from your selfish desires? Doesn't it come from you wanting? Why'd you get in that fight in the parking lot? Well, you both want the same spot. And you were so convinced you had to have that parking spot that now you're in a tuffle. I don't know. Is that for me later? I got to go over there. <laughs> let's go on. Let's read the last part of this. Uh, verse 10 to 18. It says, And Lot lifted up his eyes, and he saw all the plain of Jordan. And that it was, uh, excuse me, well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So he's saying, the land used to look great. And then, as we know later, God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan. And Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. And Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan. And Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. And the Lord said to Abram, After Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you, give it all to you. Then Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. It says that Lot lifted up his eyes, that Lot was still 
a man of the flesh. He was looking for what looked best in this life and not the next. That Abram and him had this strife. Abram said, Lot, wherever you want to go. Lot goes, okay, where am I going to go next? What am I going to do? It's kind of like you brought out to a steak dinner restaurant. They say, we're going to pay for it. All right, well, bring it over. Bring me the platter. Tell me which one I can get that's the biggest because I ain't paying for it sort of deal. And sadly, we know how that turns out for him in the end. We see even mentioned here that Sodom and Gomorrah get destroyed. And Lot's family, for the most part, gets destroyed. And even those who survive, well, spiritually, they're, as, you know, if you know the story, they're, they're not quite healthy. But Lot, I believe, wanted the best for himself and his family. He had the desire that so many of us have. I just want the best for my kids. I want the best for my wife. I want the best for me. Um, and in some way, that's not a bad desire, to want the good things in life, to want the better things in life. But the question is not that we want those things, but what are the good things? What are the best things? What is the best way to go in life? Which is the best direction to head in? You know, and Lot goes after what he thinks is best, but it ultimately destroys him. You know, uh, uh, that's just the way of man. We, we think we know everything, but in the end, it plays out, oh, AI is going to be a blessing. Oh, coming together. Oh, doing this, doing that politically. And you see the, the fruit of it and, and played out, and you realize that it's not that good. We need to be careful what we esteem to be good in life. We need to be very careful about that because looks can be deceiving. Even the garden, Adam in the garden, they knew it was the wrong tree to be at, but they looked at it and they go, that looks pretty good. You know, we begin to look at things and not consider them with, with God's word in mind. We're going to take a bite out of anything that, that comes before us. We need to think about what is best. And more than that, we need to, to think about what we base our decisions on. What advice we're using? Is it our own? Is it our own desires? Or is it the word of God? Are we using our spiritual eyes or our physical eyes to make decisions in life? And I can tell you from personal experience and from the word of God that fleshly eyes will only reap what? Fleshly reward. Flesh cannot produce the spirit. It's not going to happen. Spirit produces spirit. Flesh produces flesh. But what's the reward of flesh? Well, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. But Lot is trying to get as close as he can. He's living in the big cities. He's headed towards Sodom. This is, you know, the fancy city of the day, the technological city. Everyone's there. Everyone's doing it. It looks good. It's prosperous. It's in a, a fertile valley. Um, and he'll do anything he can to get there. It's the latest and greatest. It's the heartbeat of America. It's on point. It's on trend. And it's in lights. And, and Lot wants it all. This looks great. We have been wandering all these years. We came through the wilderness. Egypt didn't work out. Sodom and Gomorrah, that's got to be it. All signs point to Sodom, right? But I think verse 14 is the most telling in the whole chapter. And it's the most interesting, perhaps, at least it was for me, given the foundation that we've seen with Abram and the calling of God, of, of him calling on the Lord in verse 4. It says, And the Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him. And it wasn't until Lot had been removed from Abram's inner circle from his daily life and affairs that Abram heard the next word of the Lord about the promise that God had made to him. God had told Abram to what? Get out of your home. Don't bring your family with him. He got out, but he brought his family with him. And so God couldn't finish the promise to him. God couldn't finish speaking to him, couldn't give him the next word in life because Abram hadn't been fully obedient yet. And he wouldn't hear the next word from him on his journey and his faith until he did. And guys, there is stuff in our life that is separating us from the voice 
and the blessing and the fulfilling of God's promise in our lives. It's not that we can, I'm not trying to go on some weird route here, but sincerely, sometimes the only way for that to come true in our life is for us to be separated from the thing that God has told us to be separated from. The thing we've been told to leave behind, the attitudes we need to put off, the righteousness we need to put on, like the New Testament says. Um, because to be holy means what? To be separate. First Peter uh, says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust and your ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in your con- conduct, because it is written in Leviticus, Be holy, for I am holy. In Matthew 5, 8, 9, Jesus says, Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. I believe in chapter 14, as I read ahead, we're going to see the second half of this verse coming true in Abram's life, that he's going to be called the son of God, or uh, a sons of God, not the son of God, like the Messiah. But blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The world doesn't see God because they're not pure in heart, because they've heard God's word or they've been given an opportunity to turn to God and they reject them. So how can you see God if, if you're embracing things that are unholy? You can't. It doesn't work that way. And maybe you and I have been praying for something. Maybe God has even promised us something. I'm not saying this is all the time, because sometimes, you know, we read Daniel, we see that the message from the messenger of the Lord was held up and it was a spiritual battle. So I'm not making a carte blanche statement here, but sincerely, maybe we have been seeking something from God and God has promised something to us. Maybe we heard that word a long time ago, like Abram did. Maybe we've been walking for a while and a long time and still praying, but we haven't seen it. And maybe God hasn't said anything to you about it in a long time. But have we gone back to the first place spiritually? Have we gone place, back to the first place we were with the Lord physically, if need be? You know, maybe you were involved in something and you got out of it and you really do need to be back into it. You know, I talk to believers who haven't been going to church and it's like, well, you need to get back into fellowship. You need to get back with people and be in the Word of God. You know, that's the prescription there. So that's what's going to be. But have you separated yourself from anything that could be getting away. So have you separated yourself, number one, from the things of God? Okay, well, if that's not the case, have you separated yourself from the things that could be preventing you from hearing from God um, or could disqualify you? You know, a lot of times we pray and we ask and God is even ready to give it, but we've been unwilling to let go of the thing that it's meant to replace. Um, You know, I remember first getting saved and losing, I, I had to lose all my friends before I gained new friends. You know, if you want to get married, you got to lose all your other girlfriends and pick one, you know. And hopefully they do the same, otherwise that ain't going to work. But we need to be in the right place to receive it spiritually and physically because God is not going to give us new direction until we've obeyed the old direction. You know, it's like GPS. You know, if our next turn is to make a left, we got to make that left before we make that next turn. And if we pass that left, we got to turn around and come back. Um, or we're going to have to get rerouted. And we need to be wary of wanting the big things of God without first obeying the small things. And I know that sounds obvious, but if we want something big from God, we have to be able to receive something small from him first. You know, you want your marriage to be healed, but you won't give up your overly flirtatious ways or friends. You want your finances to be turned around, but you can't even put $10 a paycheck into savings. You want to be used by God uh, big time, or you won't even tithe so to speak. But you, won't, you want to be used by God big time, but you'll barely even put down the remote to spend five minutes with him. That's not meant to be a guilt trip. 
just meant to be a reality check that, man, sometimes we do need a little breaking in our lives to realize that that's going to happen, you know? Like, I've made the quote a lot. If I want to have the body of Dwayne Rock Johnson, I have to put down the brownie, pick up the weights and the chicken breast. Well, the brownie is lighter and tastes better. So, And my life's almost over, halfway over anyway, so what's the point? <laughs> but sincerely, you know, a lot went out. Yeah, never give up. Thanks, thanks, Mama. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked against the Lord. And yet Lot saw nothing wrong with heading in that direction. Oh, that's great. Oh, they're wicked, but that's okay. Look at how good it is over there. Look at how wonderful it is over there. Oh, I can, I can put that away. I can not pay attention to that. It's not going to affect me. Well, we see how it affects him. We see how it affects him. You know, uh, maybe Abram knew, uh, knew that and he wanted nothing to do with it. Maybe Abram learned his lesson in Egypt and said, I'm going to stay here with God, no matter how good it looks over there. I don't know that he said that, but it, it's possible. And it was obvious to Abram that separating from Lot to be closer to God was more important than seeking the best life now with his family close by. Abram knew that he had to separate, he had to let Lot go another way in order for there to be peace, in order for him to be obedient to God. He had to let Lot go. He had to let Lot go. Sometimes we have to let a lot go to be in the right place with God. We have to let everything go. As we read uh, last week, Jesus said, in order to be my disciple, you have to basically hate everything else in comparison. But Abram was looking at things with spiritual eyes. Abram saw what God wanted him to see. Abram saw that the place that didn't look as fertile, that didn't look as uh, special and wonderful, was indeed the special place. And now, when Lot leaves, God says what to Abram? He says, Abram, it's your turn to lift your eyes. Lot lifted up his eyes earlier and picked what was best for him. But you lift up your eyes now, and let me show you. And I believe it's okay when God tells us to do so. When God says, okay, it's okay for you to look now. It's okay for you to get married now. Or, you know, I was single for so long, and uh, my mom thought she was going to die before I got married, before I had kids, and now I've got three kids, and I've been married. <laughs> it's not happening anytime soon, Mama. Um, but when it was time for me to do so, it was, it was, it was right to do so. Uh, when it was work or blessing, it's all okay. God wants to give you more money at your job. If God hooked you up with it, it's okay. It's okay. We don't need to feign uh, humility and, and turn down a, a raise if God has ordained it. Now, if that raise comes along and you find yourself in a predicament obeying God versus obeying the raise and you know, whatever that situation is, then that's a different story. But when God lifts up our eyes and says, I've got this blessing for you, man, lift up your eyes with peace and know that this is good. This is great because God's got it for you. You didn't lift it up and make it up in your own accord. You didn't come up with it on your own. But God told Abram to look up and look every way. Lot looked up and said, I'm going east. God's, Abram waited for God. God told him to look every way. He said, look east, look north, look south. Look west, all this Abram is yours. And I believe that when we look for the blessing for ourselves, we limit ourselves. We say, oh, this is going to be great, and we just get a tiny little blessing. But we sit back and let God be the one to dictate the blessing in our lives. It's always much bigger than we could ever uh, ask or think or imagine. And this applies to everything in this life and the next life. The person we'd marry, uh, you know, the career we always wanted versus the career God would have for you. Uh, the place you wanted to live, be in life versus the place God would have you be in life. Um, you know, well-meaning people say to me, 
And I get it, and I appreciate it in a way, but they say to me, I just want you to be happy. Follow your heart. But it's not about happiness. It's not about following my heart. It's about being at peace with God and being obedient to Him and being at peace with others and being where God has me to be. And yeah, I will be happy when I'm where God wants me to be, but I have to be where God wants me to be. I have to do what He asked me to do. I think a lot of times we try and skirt that. We try and have the peace of God, but do things our own way. We try and have the blessings of God, but keep what we want, our own blessing of life. And, and that those two things don't get along. The blessings of God don't get along with the blessings of the world. Just like we'll see later with Ishmael and Isaac. Abram still hadn't totally learned it yet, but we'll see that those two just couldn't get along, and they still can't get along to this day. The flesh and the spirit, they don't get along. Paul says that that's our battle until the day we die. We drag around this body of sin and death. Body wants to do sin. Our spirit wants to do uh, what God wants us to do. But I just picture the Lord's arm around Abram's shoulder here. Abram, lift up your eyes. Look. Look all around you. Look all around you. Um, Pointing to him, speaking these words to him in love. The nature of God. Abram, I love you. This is what I was telling you about. This is what I was showing you. This is what I wanted to show you. And he says, arise. That Abram wasn't to sit still. He was to get up. He was to walk through the land God had given him. And I think that that's so healthy for us to do when God shows us something. Walk through that land. You know, go through. Oh, you're going to get married? Walk through the land where you're going to get married. You know, go look at the place you might live. Go look at the place you might get married. Consider all those things. Um, you know, God's calling you to move somewhere. Go to that place. Go visit it. Go walk around. Get to know it. Spy out the land as, as the Israelites do. Go to the north, the south, the east, and the west and see all that God has promised you. Get to know the people. Let them get to know you. Get to know the things that might be of God. Because from there, we can go in confidence. You know, a lot of times we go about in life and we don't walk around confidently. And I don't mean a, a self People come up with self-confidence to try and make up for it, to try and get what they want, to try and get their dreams to happen. But when God has promised us and we begin to walk in it, we begin to go in it, um, we can go in confidence. Why? Because God has already given it. Lot probably had to go in and be very political and put on his interview face and put on his best suit, you know, to get into town, make sure the people of Sodom and Gomorrah liked him and eventually becomes a politician in the area. Um, but Abram didn't have to worry about that. Abram could just be Abram and go about and walk about where God had him to go. It's like, Abram's like, if they don't like me, that's fine. God likes me. Um, and I think so often we go about our lives timid and afraid, hoping to get what we want, but we become a pushover. We end up selling, and selling out and compromising because we don't have the confidence for the Lord in it. We're not sure. And, and sometimes that just happens because we don't wait on the Lord. It might be the right place to go, the right thing to do, but we haven't waited for God to confirm it yet in our lives. And it's interesting here that as we close, Mamre, where he goes, where Abram goes, means strength and fatness. Abram goes from Ai, this place of weakness and brokenness, to a place of strength and fatness. And, and Hebron means associated. So he goes from being between a, a broken place and God's house to a place of being associated with God and a place of strength. And when we're associated with God, we will find our strength. But Abram had to break his associations with everything else to get total association with God. Because when it's promised, there's always peace. When God promises it, there's peace in the situation. Even in the midst of a storm, you go, I know God wants me here, so I can, I can make it through. And when there's peace, we find our place. When it's peace and settled outside, you can put down your sword and shield, and you can start putting your house together. You can start 
cultivating your lawn. You can put up the basketball hoop because you're not afraid of, you know, robbers coming in, so to speak, when there's peace in that place. And we find our place when we obey what God originally instructed us to do. A lot of times we try and find our place outside of what God told us to do. And we wonder why we can't find our place. Well, it's because God wants you somewhere else, doing something else, being involved in something else. So get out of your country, out of your father's house, out of your place, to a land which God will show you. Separate from the things that God would have us be separated from, uh, from and you'll be connected to God. You'll be connected with him. But remember that the, there's a personal nature in the, in the call of God. It's the land that I will show you. It's the place that I will provide for you. The great I am, he says, that he's our personal guide in, in life. It's not an impersonal call. It's a very personal, very intimate call because he's an intimate God, a loving God, and a caring Father. Amen? Amen. And God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the call. Help us, God, the things we need to lay off, the things of the flesh, the anger, the, the lust, the jealousies, the rage, the, the desires for our own things, whatever they are, God, uh, uh, the strife, the not getting along. Let us put those things aside. We put them aside, God. Holy Spirit, help us be loving. Help us take the high road, uh, so to speak, to, to wash others' feet, to serve others, to let others take the best thing and let ourselves be passed over because we know that, God, you'll provide for us, God. So, Bless my family here today, my friends, bring healing. Uh, but bless them as they go about their day and, and minister to them and use us to minister to others, God. Uh, come soon, God. We know that no matter how much home we have in this life, our real home is heaven. So let us go there uh, soon with you. In Jesus' name, amen.